All right, everybody. Once again, it is me, the J to the E to the double F free. This is Jeffrey Harris, and you're listening to the 411 Wrestling Interviews Podcast. All right, back for this week. We have an interview with OVW wrestler, longtime veteran, the self proclaimed best heavyweight in the world, Jay Bradley. Jay Bradley is also a former OVW heavyweight champion, tag team champion, TV champion. We got a great interview with him. Uh, He's also the head trainer of OVW right now. We talked to him about what's going on with OVW. He's had a very long career. He's worked in WWE, NWA, TNA, and now he is part of the OVW roster. So here we go, our exclusive interview with Jay Bradley. Thanks for listening. All right. Good day, everybody. This is Jeffrey Harris with the 411 Wrestling Interviews Podcast. And we are back with the one and only best heavyweight in the world. He is an OVW Grand Slam club winner. He is a former heavyweight champion, TV champion, tag team champion. He has wrestled all over the world. He is Jay Bradley. Jay. Thank you very much, man. Really appreciate your that time. Be, How are you? That might be the that might be the most enthusiastic, pepped up introduction I think I've ever had in my life. I think I think I'm going to bring you to all my bookings and just say, here, just let him do his thing. Hey, I would I, and, it would be a dream job for me. So you know, make it ha- <laughs> make it happen, and I'll do it. Uh, uh, great. We'll Jay. see what I can finagle. So, uh, how are how are things for you right now? How uh, how are how is this quarantine for you with the shutdowns and everything? How are you doing? How are you handling it? And uh, how are you feeling right now about everything? You know what? Um, uh, I not I'm probably really started to feel it a couple weeks back as far as like the the negative side effects. Luckily, I. You know, I have, uh, if you want to call it employment, obligations, other things to do outside of wrestling that kept me busy, um, you know, through the lockdown and the quarantine. So, like, money kept coming in, um, and, you know, and I, I was able to keep busy um, to an extent. Uh, it really started to creep in as far as the doldrums and the, the boredom just because, uh, you know, I'm in Louisville, um, we were on a pretty hard shutdown, no gyms, I could, you know, so, you know, after about a month of in-home workouts, I wanted to, like, pull all my hair out, and just not being able to be as physically active as I'm used to, either it's in a gym or in a ring, and, and have a creative outlet with that wrestling provides me with, you know, uh, an athletic performance, uh, and, 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 you know, coming up with you know, scenarios for, for television or, or matches, like, you know, that, that's a part of it for me where it's like, I, it stimulates me mentally where it's like, well, how much new stuff or different ways can I approach something? And, uh, you, you know, that, that's gotten a little bit frustrating here. Um, you know, not to get too political, uh, the governor here in Kentucky seems to be, uh, you know, very hard on letting restrictions go and very slow to do that despite us being a very low low uh covid number or 
know, rate here in the state and in the area. Um, hopefully it starts going soon, man. You know, I know, you know, some Indies are starting to creep up uh, in some of these states. Um, I haven't explored getting bookings anywhere yet. Um, but, you know, I've, I've OD'd, I think, on, I think I've completed like four video games and probably a half a dozen books and I can't even count how many Netflix shows and movies I've completed. So, uh, you know, I'm probably, probably similar to a lot of people out there, especially with the wrestling fans. So, you know, it, you know, we're all kind of in it together to sound cheesy and corny a little bit, but you know, uh, it's kind of it in a nutshell. If you want to go down the Netflix rabbit hole, do a double shot of, uh, B stars and then Doro Hedoro. What was the second one? Doro Hedoro. Okay, I've not heard of that one. It's very, um, it's very trippy and weird. I'll have to look that up because I just finished <laughs> the Umbrella Academy season. Yeah. And then my nerdiness, nostalgia came in, and I'm just about. I think I got one more episode on the Dark Crystal prequel. Oh, very which nice. Which was a huge movie for me when I was a kid. So I went down that hole, but I'm going to be looking for some new stuff. So I, I take it. Uh, the, the training facility or, or training school for OVW, is that still shut down at the moment? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, you know, I say that there's good and bad to it because Kentucky right. is has a Kentucky, a Kentucky boxing wrestling commission here. So everything is licensed, whether you're a, a, a talent, a wrestler, a boxer, MMA, whatever, referee, timekeeper, everybody is licensed. Um, and it's overseen, which is an extension of the governor's office. Um, so we have not been able to do anything in ring, even train nothing. Um, that's what I'm saying. You know, the governor still got us on a you know, pretty hard lockdown. And I know uh, Al and his business partners are trying to, you know, approach that from, you know, uh, you know uh, paperwork and a communication point of view to see what they can do to, to open it up. Because, you know, other sports are, are opening up here in the area, like youth sports, baseball, gyms are open, you know, even like the high intensity stuff like a CrossFit gym, movie theaters are open, um, daycare is open, you know, places where you would think there would be a higher germ, if you want to say that, content, Kroger, Target, everything has all these people in it. Um, so, you know, trying to, do, you know, just show them like, you know, we can do this safely. Um you know, we're one of the few, if not the only independent company that actually has an athletic trainer or a nurse practitioner at all our TV events. Um, so we have medical staff that is not just, you know, somebody took a first aid class. No, these are people who have studied immensely for degrees. And um, we also have the benefit of having, you know, physicians that we're, we're I don't want to say outsourced, but we're referred to for any injuries through Al and his business partners network that they've been able to put together here. Um, it, you know, so it's kind of a, a frustrating moment because it's like, you know, mm-hmm. we still have, we still have two hours of TV here locally on WBNA in the Louisville region, which gets anywhere from uh, like one to two million homes in the area. And then right before the pandemic started, uh, we announced that we had a national outlet now with YTA or UTV, U- 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 America TV, um, which is a 
a network that's on cable and satellite, and that puts us into like 41 million homes uh, uh, nationwide, plus uh, streaming services that we have. So, you know, there's a lot going on that, you know, Al and his staff uh, have had to come up with like best ofs or recap shows or, you know, deep dives into the library to, to keep content out. Um, but, you know, it's going to be really refreshing and I think in a really good spot for us as a company um, once we get going again. Because I think, you know, as crazy as it sounds, as you know, guys should be rested up and guys hopefully have worked on themselves in some way, shape or form during the downtime, whether it's in-home workouts, uh, cutting promos, watching film, you know, just doing something to better yourself, get some new gear made. So I think, you know, people are kind of chomping at the bit to get going. Uh, you're a veteran with over 20 years in this business. You're not even 40 years old yet. Um, so let's go back to 1999 sure. i want to hear about your journey in the wrestling business what drew you to the wrestling business and why did you want to be a pro wrestler you know what um my journey i'll say probably even started as as a child and in, in, in an odd way um you know, uh, my parents, I should say my mom, didn't want me or didn't allow me to watch pro wrestling as a kid, which obviously made it even more interesting because why couldn't I watch this when my friends and my cousins and even my grandfather were watching this? So I would sneak around and watch it when she wasn't there or when she was sleeping Saturday mornings and watch it at friend's house, cousin's house with my grandfather. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, but I was also very heavy into sports. As a child, um, played just about every sport growing up, tried them at least some longer than others. Um, but I was also very big into um, just, I would say, what, what has come to known as pop culture nowadays. You know, I was a He-Man, Ninja Turtle fan, comic books, Batman, X-Men, all that stuff. Um, you know, even when that stuff wasn't necessarily, you know, quote-unquote cool like it is now, um, you know, back when I was dating myself, you know, when I was growing up. Um, so pro wrestling was kind of a, a hybrid to me of all the things that I was into, like sports. I mean, you had, you know, a crazy comic book over the top, you know, physiques uh, that were prominent in the 80s and, and characters that were just out of like He-Man or, you know, the comic books come to life. Um so that's what I think really gravitated me towards it. Now, as I got older, I probably think going into my senior year in high school, um, I met some guys who did it on the local level uh, outside of Chicago. Um, and, you know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. The Internet was just starting to really catch on with the America Online and Prodigy all then. Um, but... You know, I basically did anything I could to just be a part of it. Probably uh, annoying as hell, and you know, uh, but you know, set up chairs, set up the ring, you know, try to be do something, just just be around it, be involved. Um, and then through that, I met uh, Danny Dominion and Ace Steel, and uh, they had their school up on the north side of Chicago, the Steel Domain, and um, that's when training started. 
you know, I broke in, CM Punk was there, Cole Cabana was there, Adam Pierce was around a little bit. Um, it sounds like I'm name dropping, but you know, these are the guys that, you know, I got to, you know, train with and come up with, uh, another gentleman that was very instrumental with me who probably people don't know is Kevin Quinn, who was very prominent in Mexico and Puerto Rico when, you know, in the nineties when they were very hot business wise. Um, and then he went out west and helped train people like Samoa Joe and you know, Rocky Romero and TJ Perkins. Um, so I, I, I always felt that I had a, a lot to prove, essentially. Not, not that, you know, we're all in this business together or you're trying to help each other sometimes if your buddies or your training partners. But there's a lot to live up to, you know. Um, so with that, it also made me very, very hungry um, to, to follow what some of these guys had already done and are still doing in wrestling, you know, aces, a coach down at the performance center now adams uh an agent with wwe um you don't I need to tell you what like guys like punk and Gabana did or done are still doing mm-hmm. you know um so uh that, that was my early years of just you know hustling the indies around the midwest scene. okay so chicago you know coming out of chicago the steel domain wrestling school you know, legendary names like Ace Steel, um, you know, training under those guys, Ace Steel, Danny Dominion, Kevin Quinn, what did those guys give you and, and how did they help mold you? And, and what did they give you that, you know, you brought with you and you're still taking with you today? You know what? The, the one thing that I always tell people when, when these guys go, they gave me a really good, solid foundation to grow off of. Um, Wrestling schools back then weren't as widely available as they are now. Like I said, the internet was just starting to go. The business was opening up. It wasn't as closed as it was in the early 90s or the 80s, for sure, or even earlier than that. Um, But Danny and Ace uh, and Kevin, um, they were trained by guys who had worked the territories, had come from Vern's camp and the AWA or had experience down um, with Memphis, uh, with Lawler and the Jarrett's. Another another veteran that was good to me early on was a guy by the name of uh, Rockin' Randy, and you probably don't know that name, but he, he worked as Jerry Fox um, on a lot of early WWF TV as like an enhancement guy. Uh, they would call him and bring him around the loops when they needed to get guys over or make them look strong or whatnot. Um, and, and, you know, he did the same in WCW. He was just one of those journeyman enhancement guys. Um, so I got a really, really good solid foundation of, uh, of the basics of pro wrestling that then I was, was able to build off of. And I think, um, that's the number one thing. And then as I went out there and, you know, screwed up, fixed things, screwed up again, screwed up even more on the indies and, you know, bounce around and learn different things or, or get in the ring with people who maybe um, are, are, are way above me or way below me on, you know, on the experience or the talent spectrum. Like I was able to always fall back on that foundation and then grow because of it. So that's that, that's what I would say that is the thing I really took away and still, you know, 
look back on and, and, and hang my hat on. Now, you've been through the WWE developmental uh, system. You've been through Deep South and FCW. You've been, you've been in WWE. So I'm curious, is there a WWE style as the internet wrestling community likes to call it? Do they call it the WWE style? Do they teach a WWE style uh, in developmental? I'm curious about that. You know what? The, the more... Yeah, I, I think... That that is is a tricky question, and that's how I'm trying to to not answer it. Because my answer is, I think more than what they term the WWE style is learning to wrestle for TV, right? Learning to wrestle for for the cameras as opposed to the live audience, um, and also learning to wrestle in a way that still accomplishes what needs to be done, but also preserves your body. Because you got to remember, like. WWE, you might go five, six days a week, maybe three. So, uh, you know, are, are you going to be able to go as hard as you could if you're wrestling one indie a week? Or if you had two or three matches, one, you know, like if you're on a tour in Japan and you had a match Saturday, but you don't have another match until Tuesday or Wednesday. You know, that to me is more the WWE style. And, and you know, they're more... Uh, they're very big, and I'm I'm a proponent of it. Is they're selling, but it's not necessarily the selling of of pain that has been inflicted. It's selling everything. And as a wrestler, I, I think that's a dying thing. Um, we're we're always selling something. We're selling our personality. We're selling us as an athlete. We're selling the moves that we do or the moves that we receive. We're selling a storyline. We're selling. Uh, ticked with selling merchandise in very indirect ways. It's always going back to selling. So I would say those are the big aspects when people say, well, what's the WWE style? It's like, well, sell, 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 because, you know, we're always selling something. What is it? What are we trying to sell? You know, because this business always does come down to money. Mm-hmm. Maybe for, maybe, maybe more so for the older generation, but that's the way people, but like Vince and businessmen still look at this business as what's my bottom line. So if you're not selling me tickets or what you're doing isn't helping me sell tickets or you're not moving merch for me or you know what I mean? Like it, it's all going to trickle down to that. Uh, but the cameras are also a huge aspect of it. You got to remember like, I mean, here for instance at OVW, we have anywhere from, uh, I think three or four cameras. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you go to WWE, you might have six to eight. So, like, and it's just a matter of wrestling at a pace or wrestling in a way to make sure the cameras are picking up the best they can so it's coming across on TV. So, again, the trickle-down effect, so you've been able to sell that story, that, that the persona, or, you know, we're able to attract adver- not only advertiser dollars but fan dollars. So I think, to me, those are the two big things that I would always go, well, that's the real WWE style. Because look, look at look at some of the guys that they, they have in there and have had in there. Mm-hmm. And Arn Anderson, Finn, Finley, Regal, um, Ricky Steamboat was there when I was around. Barry Windham was there when I was around. Um, Adam Pierce, You know, Adam Pierce, you know, who never even wrestled full, for the WWE full-time. Like, he, you yep. know, he did some enhancement stuff. Um, but, you know, 
those think about the diversity of the style those guys all wrestle. So would you call any of those guys really WWE style? Right. No, but they were just very good. They're very good at what they do, and they understood what needed to be accomplished. Now, okay, now we just have to put that into a television presentation. So I think, you know, um, in a way, that's one of those things where it's an internet myth, where it's like, well, why does this guy need to learn the WWE style? He's successful in Japan or Europe or everything. Well, every company wants you to do something a certain way, and when you've got six to eight cameras and literally millions of dollars into a television production, guess what? You want to make sure your your contractors or your athletes make the most of it. So, I mean, your experience, you've gotten to wrestle all over the world. You've wrestled in Japan, uh, Europe. You've you've had runs in in TNA and NWA, uh, in NOAA, and Wrestle 1. Do you like to take something from, like, each of these places and and bring it forward with you? Do you you always have to be – open to learning new things. I'm just curious how you view that uh, as a wrestler. Uh, yeah, I, I do. Um, I, I mean, I, I try to be very open because, look, the other aspect of it is, too, is um, obviously, you know, as a wrestling fan, you can look at it and see, well, Japanese wrestling is different than what sells in America and vice versa, right? So if I was necessarily to go when I went to um, to Noah and, and, and wrestle like maybe how I would in some places here, it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have got over, um, which also goes back to having a strong foundation of pro wrestling, the basics, what this business is about, um, what needs to be done in the ring, how to do it safely uh, and, and make it still look crisp and good. Um you know, the big one I think that is gone by the wayside too nowadays, modernly, is, is just being able to read a crowd. You know, when, for, I'll go back to, you know, when I was in NOAA. It, it's it's a matter of understanding the style or, or the philosophy of the type of pro wrestling that this company presents or has presented or wants to present. And then with that, also understanding what the crowd is buying into or what they're getting with, what what their what are their expectations. You know, if you deviate too much from those sometimes it, it doesn't work. But sometimes if you, you know, give them what they want with your own twist, a little bit of a deviation or, you know, or an American flair and a Japanese company, I say flair, not the wrestler, but like a more a little bit of an American style, well, then there's something there for you. So um yeah, it's like you know, this, this business, I think the one reason, or a, one of the reasons I, I'm doing this so long is like, you can't master this business. Um, it's ever changing. It's ever evolving. Um, you know, people try to reinvent the wheel, but guess what? We're still, till it gets down to it, trying to put asses in seats to see someone pin someone's shoulders down to the mat or make them to submit. How that gets done might change it might get more sophisticated it might get more fancy it might get uh, more rough or technical that's all we're doing though we're when it gets down to it it's like it's it's i'm trying to beat the guy across the ring because it it means more fortune and glory for me or he's trying to screw my girlfriend or whatever but then again that's that's where like what what type of wrestling is this company or this promotion you know trying to sell so your last run in TNA a few years ago, uh, when they were still TNA before they made that 
uh, transition to Anthem Sports, Impact Wrestling. Was it as chaotic as the the internet stories would make it out to believe? Was there a power struggle between Billy Corgan and Dixie Carter? What do you recall about you know that whole situation and, and the time you spent there? Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I now that it's years removed and you know the things have been settled in court, you know, I can talk a little bit more freely about it. Like it was absolutely, you know, I, I didn't rehear all the stories, but it. It was as chaotic as you would expect. There was a huge power struggle. Um, you know, I I was owed several thousand dollars for a January taping that I didn't get uh, until probably October or no- November. And it was just, I got told everything under the sun of, well, it's in the mail or we'll overnight it to you or, you know, whatever. And, uh, and, Pretty much, I feel it was just because I was an old friend of Billy Corgan's, and I was on that side of the clash. Um, it, you know, they're, they're, you know, the the boys, the locker room, you know, openly being lied to by the management then about what was going on. You know, that that, that just breeds distrust. You know, um, not a good situation. Um, you know, and the and, and the one thing I could say is like, you know, it's like Game of Thrones, like everyone's trying to, to sit on sit on the throne and be the ruler. And, you know, um, there was people that wanted Billy in charge. There was people that was tr- striving to keep themselves in charge. There was people from the outside that had invested that were trying to call in loans and take over. And, you know, it, it, it was chaotic. And I think here here's a prime example of how just bad business was then, you know, I, you know, doing the Aiden O'Shea gimmick, which was basically, you know, a Billy Corrigan's bodyguard or bouncer. So almost like a big boss man, big ball, kind of a character, you know, my first televised match, you know, the, 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 the vice president of the company wants me to lose to a 140 pound guy. It, you know, that doesn't make, it doesn't right. make sense. Like you just essentially just killed, killed, killed the character off before we even did anything with it. I, I just lost to a guy a third of my size. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later after that aired on TV, I was told, well, we're going to repackage you and uh, we're going to, you know, lay low for the next set of TV tapings. And then that individual was then terminated. So it, it is, you know, I, I never knew, nothing surprised me during that time. And, you know, like I said, I saw it all. I mean, I had late checks. Um, I know other people did. Other people were made contractual promises. I was told numerous times I was going to be put under a full-time contract and, you know, just never happened. Um, why, you know, I'm, I, let me say this too, because Mm -hmm. of being very heavy and and negative. Um, I was at Impact uh, last October when they had the pay-per-view and it was Bound for Glory in Chicago. Um, I was a guest of the the company um, and they've done a phenomenal job of just rebranding themselves and, and rebuilding that company. And I really do mean rebuilding that company. Like the, the, the locker room was very talented the locker room had a great vibe and a great attitude. They wanted to be there. There was no people griping about not getting paid or not wanting to work with this guy or that guy. There was a team effort. Um, 
seemingly from the management all the way through the locker room. And, you know, it, it was a much, much more positive atmosphere and vibe in general. And I think you, that comes across if you watch their stuff in the last couple of years. Um, they've done really, really well, you know, so like my hat's off to them. And that's not me trying to, you know, sit here and ask kids yeah, yeah. like that. But I, I was there when I, I was there when it was really It was a different time. It was... It was a different time, and they were they were a different company back then, right? Basically. Oh yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like it, 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 it's it's a completely. They might still have the impact moniker, you know, as part of the name right. as it did then, but it, it's a completely different company. Management's not the same. The upper management from the executive level is not the same. The talent roster has been flipped over, and they've got young, hungry people. Um, you know, and it was a very, very cool surprise to see, especially, like I said, knowing what it was when I was there, you know, towards the end of the previous regime. Knowing what you know about Billy Corgan, you know, he's, you know, now running the NWA. He's kind of revamped it. They were doing, you know, studio wrestling shows before the pandemic. Uh, are you happy to see he's still involved in the wrestling business? And do you think he takes wrestling business seriously? Uh... Yeah, you know, I, I am happy that he's still involved. I still, I think he's giving guys an opportunity to, you know, not only get exposure, but, you know, the old thing you've probably heard, well, it's another place for guys to work. It's another place for guys to get exposure, to learn, to apply their trade. Um, you know, like they, they kind of cherry-picked who they brought in there. Um, it, to me, it's a little bit very old school TNA heavy at times, or at least it was. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying that that's good or bad. It's just the way it feels like you know, Jim Storm and Ken Anderson was there. Nick's there, obviously. Um, you know, and, and, and the presentation obviously was something very different, um, than what wrestling was being seen on TV. Now it's like you turn on NXT or raw or impact and you have, a studio TV show now, which is kind of ironic. And that's due to the pandemic, obviously with the restrictions. Um, but where I'm going with this is Billy is, is a very, very unique individual. Obviously, you know, um, you don't get to his level of success in any artistic endeavor, especially rock music, um, without being like that proverbial needle in the haystack. Like he's, he's an outlier. And I mean that in a good way that it, it, it he, he approaches the creative process a little bit differently. You know, he thinks a little bit more outside the box as opposed to what's the status quo or what's always been done. Um, you know, so and I've worked with him in the past too, not only at TNA, but doing some stuff on the Indies in Chicago. And honestly, like I never had, you know, a poor interaction with Billy personally or professionally in the pro wrestling business. So, um, you know, yeah, I definitely think it's it's a good thing. You know what I mean? Um, I'm interested to see what he's going to do with the Carney Land. He's approached me about maybe okay. uh, doing some stuff with him in the future. We'll see what happens there. You know, I did a little bit of the NWA stuff in the past with challenging Willie Mack when he was the uh, one of their champions. Um, you know, I think right now everything, unfortunately, is on a standstill. You know, we're waiting for you know, what way the world's going to go, for, at least from a health spectrum with the, right. the restrictions on the lockdown or COVID, you know, how do you do a, t how do you do a studio TV show with, with, you know, limited capacity when you're already under a limited capacity option? 
So, you know, we'll see. We'll see what develops. I'm sure he'll find something creative in some way to, to keep things afloat and keep things interesting. That's, that's kind of what he does. Uh, you know, this latest run for you in OVW, how has this been for you just in terms of, you know, performance-wise, uh, creative-wise, the guys you've gotten to work with uh, in uh, OVW? You know, uh, I, I'm in a different place than I was before, personally and professionally. You know, like you said earlier, I'm old, like over 20 years in. Um, I, I'm much more of the, you know, as Al would say, you know, the, the, not, I don't want to call myself like a standard, but, you know, like a senior member of, of the locker right. room. Um, I, I'm also the advanced class coach for the pro wrestling so we have three levels of we have the beginners the intermediate and the advanced and once you get to me as the advanced coach i strictly concentrate on things like character development and wrestling for tv you know those camera things that i mentioned earlier with wwe um or or just you know a, a more advanced take on pro wrestling as opposed to like okay Here's your five or six bumps. Let's come up with five or six moves and get some cool tights. And I dive deeper with my classes, uh, typically more of a mental exercise than the physical because these guys know what they're doing physically in the ring. Now I'm trying to challenge them to the how and why and to get the most out of their effort. Um, but, you know, aside from that, you know, being a coach, it's it's a learning experience for me. It's not the first time I've coached, but, you know, I've got like essentially one foot in the locker room and one foot in the coach's yeah. office. Like I have to straddle. I have to straddle that line to, uh, you know, to be professional in both worlds. And, you know, it, it's it's a unique position, but I'm really enjoying it. Um, I've been, you know, uh working with a lot of um, not only as a coach, but on the events for television, a lot of, you know, I will almost say like more inexperienced guys. They only have a couple of years into this business. Um, and, and, you know, helping them build on that foundation that they have like, okay, like I know my bumps, I know my moves, you know, the basics, you know, but okay. So, well, you know, how do we, how do we tell this story between him and I or the group that I was a part of, which was like the, the main heel stable here, the, the legacy of brutality, like, um, cause we're all, we were all very, we're all bigger guys, but we're all very different personalities and at different wrestling uh, levels of experience and different strengths. Um, you know, a lot of the guys that I've worked with, uh, uh, not a lot. The two of them are really young. Um, Corey Storm and uh, a young boy by the name of Dimes. They're smaller guys. You know, you would call them a cruiserweight or junior heavyweight. So, like, there's the David Goliath, big man, little man story that's kind of, you know, always easily, you know, accessible to a fan to understand. But, you know, um, really helping them, you know, at least, you know, I, I, I don't, it's obviously they're putting the effort in, but helping them take the next steps and to grow and to see where we were six months ago, nine months ago, a year ago to where they were the last time I wrestled them. It, it has been a really cool process, you know, and on the other side of it too, there's just, there's some guys that, you know, you see so much in that there, there's potential, whether it's, you know, their, their personality, their athleticism, their look, whatever, all of it, 
but you know they're they don't put the effort in there's some laziness or it's just not clicking with them mentally so it's not working in that's where it comes in as like that senior member of the roster or that that coach where it's like it's frustrating for me and it's a lesson for me of like how how do i reach this person how can i make this person better uh and and you know that's a growing process for me but it's there's also the part of it where there's sometimes where the old saying goes you can eat a horse to water but you can't force them to drink you know so there's also that aspect to it so um that's more so what it's been for this run you know where before i was strictly talent right you know i was under contract to a major major company and at you know bet their beck and call where here i have a little bit more you know liberal freeway to how i do things and uh luckily enough you know, with my previous work with, with Al and my relationship with him, you know, he trusts me to do that. And, you know, he's developing a good professional relationship with his business partner, Chad, you know, who trusts me enough that I'm going to do good things and the right thing for not only the other talent, but for the company. Now, uh, tell me about the relationship with uh, Al uh, Snow, who we're, who we're talking about, a wrestling legend, since he came in... Um, does he have much input in the training cu- curriculum? Does he collaborate with you on that, or is it generally giving you free reign, or, or, or how does that work? Uh, it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, Al's had his hand in the last probably 20 years training significant amount of main major players, uh, whether it was a TNA or WWE, tough enough, you know, his time as an agent. With, with TNA, you know, he, you know, he's dealt with everybody who easy to work with, hard to work with, really talented, not really talented naturals completely, you know, he's got the whole spectrum. So, you know, I often bounce ideas off of him of, or, or pick his brain about how be my, a better coach, excuse me. But as far as the, the, the actual workouts, you know, a lot of that is left up to me. I have a direction that he wants me to move the talent in, the, the students, the trainees, whatever you want to call them, um, the topics he wants me to cover and how I do that. He leaves up to me, which goes back to that relationship of, you know, he trusts that I'm going to do the right thing and, and help these guys out um, and, and go from there. So, you know, typically what I do is um, we're very, obviously we're a TV product here. And we're trying to get these guys ready to be a even bigger product on a bigger TV. So, you know, once a week we do promos and we literally break down promos and everyone does a promo. Um, and then one day we might just do matches where I just, I might set matches up. I might just call them at random. I might put restrictions on guys. I might curveball them and, and change something. You know what I mean? And, and make them think on the fly. Um, another thing that I think is invaluable here as a, a coach for athletes of any kind is, is uh, tape review, you know, watching yourself. So Al or myself, which usually Al, because he, he loves doing this kind of stuff, but I'll do some of it too, where we'll review matches that we've done from television or in, even in practice, and we'll break it down. Like, why did you do this? Why did you do that? You could have done this, 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 and this. You could 
have got a better, you could have progressed your match in a more efficient fashion if you would have just paused or slowed down or, or, you know, done something differently. And a lot of times, you know, when we're in the heat of the moment as a wrestler, you know, we're thinking about, oh, we talked about this in the back or I want to do this cool move or this spot, but it doesn't fit at that moment. Right. Um, and then, you know, you watch it back on tape, you can see why it doesn't fit. And then the other people can see. So not only are you learning firsthand, but the people around you are learning secondhand. So it, it, it's such a valuable tool. So those are the things that I kind of concentrate on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my relationship with Al, you know, I've worked with him as a, you know, uh, he was, you know, the trainer for my time at OVW with WWE and, and Impact. He was the agent. He was the head of talent. Um, you know, I've just been around the man for over 10 years. So, you know, he's he's really helped me take that foundation I had years ago and bumped me up exponentially, um, you know, with his teachings and, and, and whatnot. So it, it's been Okay, so as the trainer, are there ever any, like, bad habits that are tough, you know, to, to train out of guys who are green or, you know, still new to the business? You know, some things you mentioned, like slowing it down or, you know, I like a good fast-paced match, you know, now and again. But it's having – it's it's t- it's the timing, when to speed it up, when to slow it down, when to – you know, when you when you're – playing to the to the TV cameras when you're playing to the crowd and things like that. But I'm just curious, you know, what it's like as a trainer from your perspective in terms of bad habits that you want guys to break. You know, here, here's, here's the biggest thing that I, I see as a coach right. that I, I get frustrated with. Because, look, I, I, can, I can show anybody – how to correct something physically. Hey, you put this hold on wrong, put the, put this here, but you know, you did this reversal wrong. You know, that's easy. Um, the, the things that frustrate me or a bad habit is people who make themselves uncoachable. And what I mean by that is, you know, maybe it's a bit of arrogance. Maybe it's a bit of uh, ego. Maybe it's, uh, you know, it sounds really, really shitty on my mind. Maybe it's on intelligence. They don't quite grasp the concept that you're trying to convey to them. Um, but that's that's like the, the number one thing when people will contact me or, hey, I've got a tryout with this big company or I'm going down to the PC. What do you say? Just be coachable. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to realize that, like, this business has been around for damn near 100 years. There's people that are way more proficient at it than me, you, anybody else, and you're going to have to work with them. So there's a thousand different ways to do things. And guess what? What worked today won't work tomorrow. This is the nature of the beast. The crowd might be different. The story could be different. The opponent could be different. The town. There's so many intangibles. So if you're not coachable and open to that process of, of seeing what else could work or trying something new and then if it doesn't work what do you do to fix it how do you fix it can you do it on the fly that 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 one thing i will take an okay athlete who is willing to work hard that is coachable over a guy that's got all the 
the, the bells and whistles of what you think a star would be in this business who's not coachable. Um, and the second thing that drives me nuts is just lazy work ethic. Right. I'm, I'm a little bit of a, of a workaholic to an extent, especially when it comes to pro wrestling. I'm very passionate about it. So if I don't see people that want to work hard to achieve what they tell me they want to achieve in this business, or I don't see the work ethic and the passion, you know, it's all, then it's just, it's not true. It's it's uh, it's not genuine. It comes across as you know. Well, I want to do this. Oh, but this is getting a little bit hard. How bad do you want this? You know, Doctor Tom. They had a saying something like, you know, uh, if you want it, what was it? Uh, now I'm going to misquote Doctor Tom. <laughs> T-shirt on it. And I, I can't. I can think of it. I, I, he used to say it all the time in practice. Um, you know, but it's something like, you know, if you want it bad enough. Yeah. You won't need an excuse. You'll, you'll find a way. You know what I mean? Like there's no, there's not going to be a try. You're going to find a way, um, you know, and that's kind of been my approach of pro wrestling. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to get to WWE. I did what I had to do to get there. I felt, you know, mm-hmm. I wanted to stay employed and get another opportunity. So I did what my coaches told me to do. You know, I got, wanted to go to TNA and try things there. And just, you know, Hey, I wanted to go to Japan long term. I did what I had to do to get there to experience these things. Um, but I would say, you know, Al and Dr. Tom are two major coaches, probably you could intangible one and two of who they've gotten to big, big shows or major companies. They're probably the most proficient and prolific trainers of the last 20 to 30 years. I've been blessed and benefit to work with them both. And they have very different views on things, which is cool. But the other thing is the one thing they do have in common is, you know, that passion gotta be passionate and you got to be coachable because if you're not okay so why why aren't you selling out arenas and if you don't want to listen to me you know if you if you think you've got a better way why aren't you already made event wrestlemania so um those are the two things that i find most frustrating because again like as a coach i want to see the people i work with improve and move on and be better than what they were when they got to me, but I can only do so much. Now, the thing that's been frustrating for me as a viewer and a fan for these past few months is, you know, before, you know, this pandemic and, you know, all these shutdowns, it seemed like the business was sort of in a very sort of moving forward, I feel like in a very positive direction, just in terms of the variety that fans had. And I felt like smaller promotions we're getting a handle on this sort of new media era with streaming media, video on demand, streaming services. It felt like, you know, a pl- places like o- you can watch OVW, you know, with, you know, just a few swipes with the click of a button. You can watch New Japan Pro Wrestling. Like every it, it seemed like the wrestling industry was finally adjusting to this sort of strange modern era and you know, working in concert with it and now it's sort of every everything shut down and it, not everything like we still have some re- uh weekly wrestling on tv for the major promotions but i guess what did you see like before everything shut down it seemed like it seemed like things were were it seems like we were getting to a more positive place where you know guy there were more places for guys to work more places for guys to get experience to get to get exposure to get on tv and things like that um, my take is this, I think 
pro wrestling is a form of entertainment, obviously. Yeah. I don't think it's going to go away. Um, what I, I, I think you'll see, um, I don't know if I'm trying to get my thoughts together. So you're going to see the companies, I think, that have like some sort of like major, and I say major, but like some corporate money behind them continue. Like obviously WWE, AEW aren't going anywhere. Impact's not going anywhere. They're owned by, you know, $4 billion a year entertainment company. Vince is a billion, whatever the hell WWE's valued at. Like AEW, you know, the Khan family is billionaires. Um, even companies like ROH, who is Sinclair backed, or MLW, who uh, you know has multiple television deals all over the world now. These places, or even like an NWA, who mm-hmm. Billy's being very smart with how he street, how he delivers his product and, and the finances of it. I don't think those places are going to go away at all. They might have to slow down, like we've seen. They might have to alter the delivery for a little bit. Um, but what I do possibly see happening is like a lot of the smaller Indies just, they might not come back due to the economy, people being out of work, um, people, uh, not wanting to, um, devote the time and the money into putting on an event when they're not sure there's going to be a financial gain later because they've been out of work for two, three, four, five months to this year. Um, with that, I also could possibly see um, the the talent pool altering a little bit. I think, hey, if you have less independence to work or there's less spots available, you know, on, on an event or, or the, 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 the event is a little bit more, you know, we'll say a higher quality, higher profile event, like, well, some of the lower end of the talent pool might end up going away just because the, the opportunities to get work or be booked are going to go down because the talent who is viable and ready is going to take the spots that are left. Um, you know, and, and here's the other part of it, the dynamic that, that I think people are overlooking too is mm-hmm. like a lot of these businesses, like, like per se, Say Pro Wrestling Nola just got purchased by the same owners that own DET. Um, and they're now on a streaming service. They're corporate-backed. Um, people are, are have ingenuity. You know what I mean? Like, they'll find a way to keep money coming in. People, these companies will find ways to, um, you know, to stay profitable. You know, you just saw WWE, unfortunately, release you know, 30 of my coworkers or buddies and people I've crossed paths with part of that was just making themselves deem profitability right. during a pandemic, you know? So you got to remember some of these, the ones that are actually run like companies, uh, you know, with some sort of a structure or management, you know, I think they're going to be fine. You know, some of the, the smaller groups, or like I said, it's like, well, I got to run one show and hopefully make enough money to afford a second show. That those places might not come back, uh-huh. and it's a sad part because you know it's like guys need places to work to to just enhance themselves. But on the flip side, the creep is going to rise to the top. It always has. Okay, so you like the boomstick lariat, but do you have another favorite wrestling move or wrestling hold? It could be anything. It could be a side headlock, Irish whip, anything like that. 
Um, I, I used the other one that I used as a finish in Japan, which was, uh, I called it the Second City Slam, which was a, um, they call it the Muso in Japan, which is actually an old sumo throw. It's actually the hold and the move that beat Kobashi to end his legendary title reign. And um, when I was in Noah, Marafuji had talked to me. He was like, so many, so many guys have tried to use that big clothesline as a finish in Japan because of people like Hansen that he suggested it would be helpful that I did something else afterward, like a bigger, powerful move. So I, I knew of this move from my fandom from Nola years ago, and I, I adopted it, and it worked for me. Um, which goes back to the other question, you know, what do you, you know, you said, how do you adapt and mm-hmm. do you, what do you take with you other places? Basically, it's just a, it's an amateur sumo. It's a high crotch throw. I, I waist lock the guy and then I come from underneath between the legs and I lift him up high in the air and I turn him and I drive him straight to the ground from almost seven feet in the air. Um, so it's an impressive, powerful maneuver for a guy like me who's almost six, five and almost 300 pounds. And, um, looks good on TV and going back to the camera stuff, you know, you got a guy holding him up on my shoulder, you know what I mean? Like in a pop and, and he gets thrown down. So that's another fun one. Um, I know I'm a big fan of my, uh, I do a, a variation of the old Vader splash off the second ropes, yep. but instead of uh, a splash, I turn it into a elbow drop. That's been another favorite of mine. Um, just because, you know, I'm a, big Vader fan from my, my days as a, you know, fan as a kid and, uh, you know, just twist it a little bit to make it my own. Oh, very nice. Doing anything like that. Okay. So last question, Jay, and I really appreciate all this time. If, uh, if you have any social plugs, uh, any OVW plugs, uh, you want to share, I wanted to give you that time to do it. Just, uh, you know, anything, any projects you got, um, you want to tell the listeners wanted to give you that time. Go ahead. Sure. Uh, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at J Bradley P W J A Y B R E D L E Y P W for pro wrestling. That's both on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, my Facebook fan page is simply facebook.com backslash J M Bradley, just like my name. Um, at OVW wrestling on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and ovwwrestling.com are the links or the, the hyper, whatever handles, hyperlinks. I don't know what you guys call them nowadays. That's how you find them on, on social media and the internet. Um, you know, if, look, give yourself a, a Google search for YTA U2 America. Um, it's out of Boston, Texas, I believe. It's a small network that carries OVW and uh, championship wrestling from Hollywood. They're also on the Roku app. I think OVW is uh, the YouTube channel. You can just search OVW and Ohio Valley Wrestling. It'll pop up. They will put their weekly episodes up. Uh, I think we're on Apple TV, Roku TV. Um, you know, those are the big ones uh, going forward. And um, if anybody's interested, you can hit me up. I've got some new collar and elbow t-shirts uh, that are pretty badass coming here. I should have them actually any day now. Um, a gentleman out of the UK designed it for me where I'm literally boomsticking some poor guy's head off of his body. So a little, little graphic violence, but it's very fitting for Jay Bradley. Uh, very nice. Uh, Jay Bradley, uh, thank you very much for your time. Uh, you guys keep doing what you're doing. And uh, I know, you know, you guys are going to come back and we're going to see you 
you guys stronger than ever. Uh, really appreciate it. This has, you know, been, I think, one of the most informative interviews uh, I've ever had uh, on my podcast, so I really appreciate it. So thank you very much. You've been listening to Jay Bradley, the best heavyweight in the world, the OVW Grand Slam champion on the 411 Wrestling Interviews podcast. Thank you, everybody. All right, and that was our exclusive interview with OVW's Jay Bradley, and we have more to come later on, so please stay tuned. Also, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, if you could give us a five-star rating or review, I would very much appreciate it. If you found us on YouTube, on the 411 Mania YouTube channel, if you could give us a like, comment, or subscribe on this podcast, I would also very much appreciate that. But thank you very much for listening in these very trying and bizarre times. I really do appreciate it, and uh, I'm just very excited about the content we're going to be bringing you uh, throughout the month of June and uh, probably through uh, July as well. So you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, uh, on Google Play, on Spotify, and the 411 Mania official uh, YouTube channel. Until next time, I am the J to the E to the double F free, Jeffrey Harris, And you've been listening to the 411 Wrestling Interviews Podcast. Have a great day, everybody.